Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hi, Tiger. Have you finished playing yet? Not yet. Can I have a go? Mm-hmm. Press one of those there. Charlie is from East Germany. Ducio, where's he from? Yugoslavia. Dusky. <laughs> Wits is from. Czechoslovakia. And Dus. <laughs> from Poland. Poland. And they all came into Heathrow in February and March, and nobody could pronounce their names. <laughs> so, Richard, um, sorry, Ian Richardson reckons that there's a chap called Karpov, played by Ray McAnally. I think this was one of his last parts. Mm, I think be. the Jack the Ripper TV film is his last role. Mm. Um, but he says, I think he's behind it. And you know what? I'm going to have a good laugh feeding him bullshit. That's, again, a really nice scene in the car. Yeah. It is, because yeah. they're getting driven quite fast. They're not wearing seatbelts. Which and I also, find quite you, stressful. The other thing, <laughs> but the other thing, <laughs> you, the other thing watching that scene is that what Ian Richardson does is is that, because he's sort of, the way, the character that he's playing, he's he's sort of this still... Slithering snake type character, and there's a sort of a melt point that he has with Michael Caine, and yeah. you totally, um, you're with Ian Richardson, you're on his side, yeah. and as you know, the film plays out, things change, but um, it's just again a really beautifully judged piece of sort of, I would say, audience manipulation because it's yeah. not that, but it takes you somewhere where you don't. The payoff comes at the end of the film. Also, you're so used to Ian Richardson kind of being the slippery, slimy bad guy. That's quite nice for a fleeting time to think he's on our side. That's great. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, I completely to see the bond he has with with Michael Caine. Yes, because he believes him and Julian uh, believes in him and Julian Glover exactly. doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, and and then you, so you feel like he's on your side completely. Mm. But Karpov gets a call. So this is Ray McAnally gets a call to meet Borisov, who's Ned Beatty. Uh, he says, we'll meet you at the fishing lodge. They go and meet. And Ned Beatty just says, why are you taking all my men? All my best men are being pulled out. Now, I've got, okay, so my, I've got a, this whole sequence. Mm. Um, it's sort of made me laugh. Mm. 
it reason it made me laugh is that um, Ned Beatty is a ju- just a wonderful actor, hmm. and I have a feeling that he was he just went nuts when he met the costume designer. Um, and i think as soon as in the script he saw he was having to say um sort of yevgeny zagevich a lot he just thought i'm in a Chekhov play right and the performance is kind of curiously theatrical Mm. as though he's in a Chekhov play also he's looking a bit overacted isn't it it's it's very overplayed um and i just think he just tonally it just, um, it slightly, I found it, a, it well, I had to lean back a bit. And I, and I hate that to I say that work because out, I love I it. I couldn't work out, yeah, I couldn't work out the relationship. It was very difficult to get a handle on exactly what they were to each other. Well, they throw very quickly in that notion of, you know, hello, old friend. Hmm. Okay. So. Yeah, yeah. But it was really insincere. I don't know. I, found, I agree with you. It was um, d- difficult to really judge that. But they've also got that um, fact we were talking about earlier with the accents. And I've got a clip here of Karpov speaking. Now, this is Ray McAnally, who's an Irish actor. Mm. Uh, he was in Taffin as well, fact fans. Um, mm. But here he is basically doing an American accent. Pavel Petrovich, old friend, I give you my word. I'm not the one who's wrecking your department. That's definitely an American accent. I don't, and it's the mm. choice they made. It is interesting, isn't it? Oh. So actually, all do American to play Russians. I guess maybe someone over in the pub just went, "Yeah, fuck it, let's yeah. do it." Yeah, why not? Um, but again, Macanelli, uh, <laughs> so he's so he's just again pictures yeah. it brilliantly. Yeah, um, I think yeah, they fifteen minutes the, at the end of the uh, fifteen minutes at the end of the wardrobe meeting to work out the accents for those two. <laughs> But Ned Beatty's in a Chekhov play. God love him. So oh. this is my one time I'm ever going to play Chekhov. He's Chekhov, Chekhov Ned Beatty because he, he, you have to have him at the end if he's at the beginning. <laughs> Not in this, Chekhov. though. But. No. no. Um, are we, uh, can we discuss the end, of the, the end of the scene? Yes. And then the beginning of the next scene? Please. Um, I don't know whether you had something up your sleeve. I've got but, nothing um, up my sleeve now. No. Not can I ask something about the scenes, scenes like this where he's obviously driven a long way to go and see his old pal? Hmm. He's drinking. And they've, they've had a drink and they've spoken for a matter of minutes and then he puts his jacket back on and leaves again. That's the same thing as hanging up phone calls. Yeah. You just have to go. Yeah. I think that's a minimum two-hour drive. Yeah. He overs- minimum. I think you're right. But he overstayed. He was there for quite a long time. Is that what you're saying? But in film language. No, you- I'm saying he was there for 10 minutes. Yeah. And in film language, half a bottle of vodka, and then he drove home. So it's like the phones in film language. You have to wait till they've gone for a piss, and then you leave. <laughs> so you don't have to say goodbye. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, do they cover so all of this in film school? Is this part of you do a module on visits, long drives, and phones? Well, you tell yeah, we me. Did a year, we did a year on phone calls. Hmm. Um, a year. Find, yeah, a year on phone calls and how you ne- must never hang up. And also, don't be worried that if you need to drive for three hours to see a friend, it's okay to drink half a bottle of vodka and drive home. Hmm. That's year two, really. That's kind of year two lessons. Film right. Um, but at the end of this scene, hmm. um, it's a direct sort of Bond parallel. So the film, the, the scene finishes with Ned Beatty sort of introducing Pierce Brosnan's cover story hmm. um, or legend, rather. Legend, they say. Yeah. Legend. Yeah. And Beatty says. Mac, Mac, McNally says to, to Ned Beatty, "What's his? What's the name of his legend?" Mm. And then Beatty says, 
Ross. James Edward Ross. Yeah. Cut to uh-huh. Pierce Brosnan yeah. driving his escort. His escort. I know, but it is. A, it, it could have been built for Bond, James yeah. Bond. Plus, this is 1987, so that car probably looked sexy as fuck. I, I think I seem to remember next oh, three was, was Sweet Wheels. Mm. Mm. Um, can I offer a side note? And John, yeah. you will definitely know the answer to this. Go on. And because he says Ross James Edward Ross, it mm. did make me think, does James Bond have a middle name? And he does. Oh. Do you know what it is? No, I don't. <gasps> I'm, I about to, I'm about to change your world. Go on. <laughs> His full name is, drumroll, James Herbert Bond. Oh, goodness me. I know. I let that soak in. Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> What's your name? Bob. He would have been bullied at boarding school, surely. James, I'm with that um, name. They would have called him Herbie. Herbie. Mm. Here comes yeah, Herbie. Bertie Bond. Twat. <laughs> <laughs> James Herbert <laughs> Bond. Bond. JHB. He would have had that on his trunk at school. <laughs> JHB. JHB. Wanker. Um, James <laughs> Herbert Bond. I, I think we should we could end it there. That really. explains oh. that explains a lot, doesn't it? I always assumed he had a secret first name because you know how Paul McCartney's real name is James Paul McCartney. Where is it? Yeah, and he calls himself Paul McCartney because he's but his dad's name was James as well. I always assume that James Bond's first name is Bond. Well, I, well, I wish it. <laughs> so middle name Bond. James. I yeah. Get it, yeah, Bond, James Bond. I would have preferred if he said, I don't really like the name James, and oh. I'd like it if you could call me Herbert. Mm. Bertie Bond. Name? Bond. My name's Bertie. Bertie, Bertie, Bertie Bond. <laughs> I don't think we'd be making any more of these days, do you? But you can call me Herbert. Mm. Oh, Herb. Bertie. Herb. Ah, oh, Mr. Bond. Herbert. Bond. <laughs> so just, yeah. just So every time you see James Bond, I think maybe that's why he's such a cold calculating killer. Because so many people over the years, I mean, there's a trail of destruction of people that have called him Herbert that haven't lived. Mm. Just worth thinking about. It's worth thinking about. But, but he says, but Ross, James Edward Ross, cut to Pierce driving, albeit a Ford XR3, but it's a very Bondian moment. Yeah, it is, definitely. He looks, it looks like we said earlier, he looks so like James Bond, it's ridiculous. Like He does it like so like James Bond, it is ridiculous. <laughs> and he goes to look at this so house. Why, why, sorry, Alistair, why did he, what's the, tell me the story, why did he not get the Bond film then when he was offered it? Uh, well, I should, I think the, 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 very, very, the very simple version of this is that, um, and John will correct me on it, that he was... Um, well, Tim Dalton was offered the part a lot and kept turning it down. I think the first time he was offered it, John, correct me if I'm wrong, he was offered it to, t- uh, he was going to take over from uh, Connery. Sean Connery. Yeah. And then Tim Dalton said, I'm too young. He was 21 and, at the time. Which, so that would have been mm. a very different track. Yeah. And then he was offered it again um, when Roger Moore said, um, I don't want to do another one and then changed his mind. Mm-hmm. And so that was the second time. And then the third time he said yes. Um, but um, the reason that Piers Brosnan, he was offered it, got it, was going to do it, and then Remington Steele, the TV show in the, in the States that he was contracted yeah. to, actually turned around and said, we want to do, I don't know, we want to do another half-season, another sort of six sort of pick-up mid-season episodes, yeah. um, rather than, you know, we're going to season three or four. And they sort of made those six and then cancelled the show anyway. Yeah. I mean, heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. He'd, oh. he'd even done costume fittings, screen tests, everything for Living Daylights. There's loads of pictures of him wearing all the costumes and everything and then yeah literally 11th hour just and there was nothing anybody could do i mean you Mm. just imagine that sitting in his little house going 
It's oh, just it's obviously some vindictive exec- executive at the TV company there. But that it, there is this, but that's the sort of the extraordinary thing about the timing of this film that you do not only do you see um, Pierce Brosnan being more Bond than than the, well he is he is Bond, yeah. but he's just it feels like through this entire film he's just gripping so tight to the actor, mm. and it fe- and it works brilliantly. <laughs> yeah. And I may be completely, well, I am completely projecting, but it just feels that throughout this whole thing, even after a day shooting the fourth protocol, he lies in his hotel room and goes, but I'm not fucking Bond at the mm. moment. You know? well, you got yeah, the- when, they ro- when they rolled out the F-score and it wasn't the DB7, it's oh. like, oh, mm. But he's still very good in this. He's brilliant. Yeah. But he's, he goes to look at this house that's to let right by the airport, the airbase. Mm. And... Um, he likes it because it's got an attic, which he needs, as we mentioned. Can earlier. I uh, can I ask a question about oh. the um, uh, the estate agent? Uh-huh. It's a curious performance. Yes. Um, and I, it, it, I wasn't convinced by it. I have right. to say, and it made me do a do a little look into. I was very curious about who this actress was. She was very good in the sense that she was kind of very emblematic of, I think, what estate agents were probably like in Fulham in the nineteen eighties, and all sort of hair bands and all the rest of it. Uh-huh. Um, and actually, it was played by an actress called Octavia Verdin. Now, uh-huh. Octavia Verdin then morphed into Julia Verdin, which may be her real name, um, and is now very much an LA-based sort of film producer. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and I'm curious because the structure of the financing of this film, go with me on this, mm. um, because they had to raise the money privately and there was this guy called Wafik Saeed who put in, I think, half the budget. It was about, I think the whole budget was seven, eight million quid then, which mm. is, I guess, what, 20-odd now. So, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know, a healthy budget. But Wafik Saeed was a, was, was a guy who was um, a sort of a, a, a Mr. Fix-It. I think he was from Saudi. Um, and he was one of the people that put together that massive arms deal that British Aerospace did in the 80s. And anyway, it was quite interesting. And he was in the world of sort of Langans and London. And anyway, him and Kane, I think, were probably friends from sort of socialising and stuff. Mm. And I was just curious to know. And actually, I would be interested to know that whether Julia Verdin, who plays that part, was any part of the production side of things, whether she was involved somehow, and whether it was a part that she was sort of given because she was sort of not just hired as an actor and through Priscilla John, whether there was a, I don't, I don't know, whether there was a, a connection between um, the production side of things. If anyone does know, I'd just be interested to know. Please, that's some deep diving. Yeah, well, yeah. But this so one deserves it, nothing less. When your fourth protocol tour doesn't quite hit the heady <laughs> heights as it should, I think it's a private investigator. Or a TED Talk. I can or a TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> or, or perhaps, um, perhaps Octavia slash Julia Verdon. Maybe I could get like um, guest guest appearances once a week, oh. like on Fridays. You know, fun Fridays in Ipswich. That if you you know she could come around the corner and people go, ladies and gentlemen, Julia Verdon, who played the estate agent, who's now going to show you around the house. Brilliant. All right, I like That's that. That's another fifty quid. I'd pay for that. Would you? Yeah, I, I mean, afterwards, I'd be really sad. <laughs> So when you pay for it afterwards, you wouldn't pay in advance? No, I just mean I'd pay for it emotionally afterwards. <laughs> oh, I see. You'd be lying in the bath like, um, okay, we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. But when, he's, when he looks around the house, he likes it, he moves in, and then we meet Matt Frewer, I think was living here at the time. Max Hedron. Yeah, uh, he was one of those American actors, or North American actors, I should say, who lived in England for a while to get work. Mm. Hence why he was Max Hedron. And Betsy Brantley plays his wife. Yes, exactly. Soon to be Mrs. Steven Soderbergh. Yes. 
So, so that is the wife, isn't it? Because I found that whole that storyline a little bit confusing as well. It's confused by the, the fact that he's got other neighbours that are swingers. That confuses things a bit. But also, he disappears in a scene. And, he does, um, doesn't he? Yeah, I'm guessing and there so was a like scene there that we was cut out where he was too drunk to stand up. Yeah, I think there's a scene missing where maybe he was too drunk to go home or something, so she gave Pierce a lift. But we'll get there. Good, we'll get there. Good, there is a good. Um, there's a good. Uh, um, and I don't know whether they're directly referencing, but my dad was uh, my dad was in the military, and uh, growing up, I sort of grew up on some of these bases hmm. in that sort of slight environment where there are sort of married quarters and that kind of thing. I, I can't comment on the swinging thing because that would be weird. Sure. Um, but there was a story that went round that um, I remember my dad telling me once that um, because you sort of moved a lot and I think there was quite a lot of cocktails and adultery going on and maybe swinging, I don't know. But one of the things that, um, well, they're, you know, in those days when basically the husbands were out working and the wives were allegedly, you know, stuck at home getting bored, um, that uh, the wives, if they were looking for some form of entertainment, they put a box of, um, of washing powder in the uh, in the window of the kitchen and as we know we see her doing that sort of washing up in the kitchen stuff mm-hmm. gazing across at a sexy sexy piers um the washing powder was omo that would be the uh, the washing powder that would be, and that was a sign and basically omo stood for old man out right which meant you could pop round oh. that's very on the buses isn't it it is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which this film reminds me a lot of on the buses definitely yeah, yeah especially nuclear bomb on the buses the fourth film <laughs> <laughs> Not many people have seen. <laughs> uh, uh, but he, this is where Pierce starts going around, like, almost like a video game, picking up bits of the bomb from couriers. Couriers. Well, that kind of courier. Courier. Sorry. Courier. All right. Courier. I think detail is important. It is important. You're right. People who are listening to this, nothing less. What does a courier do? It's like a courier, but they can't say it properly. Courier. Yeah, um, but then meanwhile, um, Michael Caine goes to see Julian Glover, and Julian Glover says to him, "You know what? A young man's been doing your work while you've been away. I don't know where he's been. Doesn't doesn't matter. Uh, you're going to go and work for C five. Now, what I immediately thought at that point was the professionals. Bubba. Yeah, because they were CI five, weren't they? They were CI five. Yeah, so I thought wasn't C five also? Um, what was the uh, what was what was the little electric the buggy? Car, Sinclair came oh in. yeah, Sinclair. 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 He's going to work, Sin- he's, yeah, he's going to work on the ZX Spectrum. That's brilliant. That would have been quite fun. Just sort of zooming around the corner in one of those little things. It's a wonderful video you can find on YouTube. It's like a uh, it must have been a VHS tape you were given if you bought a C five, and it was a welcome to your Sinclair C five. And the most worrying aspect of it, as it says, all service will be on your vehicle will be carried out by Hoover. Oh, I'd be quite worried by that. <laughs> wow, that that sounds like the beginning of some kind of lost type series where you stumble yeah. across a VHS. Yeah, mysterious instructions around some weird transporter. But if you broke down or something went wrong, and you'd have to phone Hoover to come and fix it. Was it so turned off? It was palmed out. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. That just sucks. <laughs> it sucks. Sorry, oh, sorry. I promised myself yeah. I wouldn't do that, and I did. Sorry. If you do that on my tour, you you may be removed. <laughs> I'll be putting a nuclear bob. <laughs> <laughs> um, but basically, C5 isn't the professionals, or indeed a Sinclair C5. It's airports and ports. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which he thinks is a terrible thing, but it's lucky he got put there, isn't it? Oh, what a stroke of luck. Yeah, because in Clyde, a man is not the monkey from Every Which Way But Loose, but a man <laughs> is hit by a lorry because he didn't have a pass. And it turns out in his tobacco case, which Michael Caine finds when he goes through his effects, is some polonium. Which he has really to be the world's worst courier, though, surely. I mean, that yeah. guy was spooked by it. Oi, hello, are you yeah. there? Yeah. I'd like to see you the the Russian training. Yeah, would, mm. would be, he'd be able to cheat his way past him. Yeah. Also, I'm not, I don't think you're supposed to handle polonium. Well, it was in his tobacco case. But no, you're right. You're right. I don't think you are either. I mean, I think you should be within a mile of the damn stuff, let alone, I think mm. it'll just, your hands will fall off. But then Michael Caine is Michael Caine, so you can handle whatever. He's got he magic likes. hands. And we get Ronald... There's another accent issue here as well. Ronald um, Pickup. Yeah. Yeah. Decided to do Welsh. Yeah. Maybe John McKenzie just didn't give a shit about accents. He went, you do whatever, it's fine. I'm not bothered. Yeah, I think so. I think just, let's spice it up a bit, loves. You, you're Welsh. Am I? Yeah. All right. right or, or Ronnie Pickup just sort of said, um, John, uh, before we get, I, I quite like to give this, I quite like to give, a, give Welsh a run of this. John McKenzie went, hmm? What? Yeah, no, fine, fine, fine. It's an odd thing. Why does he need to do Welsh? Uh, I don't know, because they're in Scotland, aren't they? So yes, they're in Clyde, not, yeah. not the orangutan. Not the orangutan. Um, yeah. It's just so curious. Again, Ronnie Pickup, another brilliant. Mm. You know, what did he do? A day on this film? If that, yeah. He's just, again, another just sensational British actor. Um, again, another example, they all come running. Maybe it's all just a, it's a hello, darling, it's me. Listen, it's a lovely couple of scenes of Michael Caine. Your old pals. 50 quid. Have you made any, as an actor, have you made any decisions on a film accent-wise that you've regretted later? Um, oh, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, apart from your own. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think maybe. I think maybe my first television job. Um, I had to. Um, my first TV job was. I'm um, in an episode of um, the wonderful reconstruction television program Nine Nine Nine. the sort of the um, poor man's crime watch. Yes, and um, I was a farm boy who got trampled by a herd of cows. Right. No, that's a lie. I didn't get trampled. I saw someone trampled by a herd of cows, and then a helicopter turned up, and that was the. And I, I had to give it generic. Somerset. Yeah, Somerset, mm. and it wasn't very good. So as I say, in, um, in Creek, you don't. You're you're posh, so you're all right there, aren't you? No, Creek is is fine. Although I did play, um, I did play a scaffolder from Bolton in um, Holby City when I was typecast. I mean, that's typecast. That is typecasting. I have you must say, have walked in the room and went, Alistair. I mean, no, but I, you know what? Actually, it's one of the most proudest audition jobs I've ever got because I remember being in the room, age 24 or something, and there was about six or seven actors um, who were all genuine, bona fide northerners, and I wasn't, and I did think, what the fuck am I doing here? And I walked in and I auditioned and uh, in my COD accent, and I got the job. So I oh. felt that's probably one of the proudest oh. wins I've had. Well, well done. Thank you. Retros <laughs> retrospectively. Thank you. Yeah. It's a wonderful episode. It's good, isn't it? I was a Bolton scaffolder having an affair with the boss's daughter. Wow. Uh, that's drama. Do you remember any lines? <clears throat> Don't push me off the... <laughs> Don't push me off the scaffolding, boss. I can't. Mm. I, I hurt my Nothing arm. Nothing about putting, putting your poles up. Or... Yeah, sorry I've been putting the poles up your daughter. <laughs> yes. Uh, hang on. What's that? 46 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> you wish. Are we going longer than that? Um, <laughs> okay. My name's Jason Fleming. 
The More Than My Past podcast will see me talking to a wide range of inspiring people, people who have confronted and overcome addiction or imprisonment or both and turn their lives around. I did mad things that was hurting myself and hurting other people. Everybody grows up in a house called normal. Heroin addiction and chaos was my normal. Some people don't understand the word moderation and uh, I was definitely one of those people. The More Than My Past podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Yeah, so uh, then um, Karpov, on the, on the way back from seeing Ned Beatty, presumably, he says to his driver, you know what, you drive, you drove Comrade Philby a lot, didn't you? Because at this point, we don't know what's happened to Philby, what we do, but he doesn't. And he, he says to his driver, pull over. So he pulls over and he says, now Karpov speaks to his driver. So it's a sort of Karpov karaoke. Um, <laughs> sorry, that's terrible. <laughs> oh, uh, my Lord. Did you, when, you wrote, when you wrote that one down, were you just like, yes... I was, yeah. He could have just said, wife, pull the carp over. Yeah. Carp over. Yeah. Carp over. All the single ladies. Oh, no, he doesn't sing. Um, but he basically <laughs> says, um, you know, tell me what happened or I'll... Uh, he basically threatens his family, doesn't he? Yeah. You just don't want to be Russian, basically. No, you want to slow down. Um, so then he goes to see <laughs> Krylov, Professor Krylov, um, and says to him, now, there's, there's rumours that Philby's missing, you know, he's feared murdered. Um, so you you need to tell me what you and Philby were working on because he he had a plan with Philby, and he says no, I'm not telling you anything. And then he shows him a picture of his son making love with another man. Right, this is a big moment. Oh. If you want to go deep mm. dive, this is 
when I re I rewatched this again today. Compromat. Mm. But if you look closely, which you're welcome to do mm. at the photographs, <laughs> yeah. freeze frame them. Yeah. I am eighty nine percent sure mm. that the boy featured in those photographs is Ben Daniels. No. Yes. This is why you messaged us today because I was looking out for him and I didn't see him. Yeah. Wow. I said, said I, I, yes, I sent you an answer about Ben Daniels is in this film. Yeah. And I got nothing back because you were so confused. I was. And I want you to go and look later. And I did Google or the search engine of your choice, hmm. Ben Daniels' fourth protocol. It is not on his IMDb page, but there's <laughs> a couple of very delicate, light, not in reviews or anything, but there's a couple of little listings. And I know Ben, and I haven't yet asked him, and I think it's Ben Daniels. I don't know whether he had a part in it and it was cut, or I. But there's something about this is this is the the nub of it. Another and rogue one, of course. Of it. Another great rogue one who made yeah. me laugh so much. He's got the he's got the biggest twinkle in showbiz. That boy, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Five cameras pointing at you, <laughs> Star Wars stuff going on, and he's there twiddling his moustache off camera, trying to make you laugh. For which I loved him doing. <laughs> well, I've never laughed at work with another actor more than I've done with Ben Daniels. Maybe he's you a, should ask a, him if, if he's if he's a, a bum double in this. Well, I think he is. I think he because um, we see two I'm bums. Really curious. You do, yeah. Mm. So I think it's I love that you paused it to work out who it is. So that's dedication. That's well, I, I actually had. I was kind of almost in the film in the sense that um, you know, also in all good spy thrillers, that someone's trawling through you know endless, endless pictures and on a computer screen or a name, like Michael Caine actually does when he's looking for any Russian that's coming to the UK. Yes, in, yeah, very yeah. much. But there's always a beat that where you're looking through endless point. It's pointless. You've been at it for hours, and then you stop and go, wait a minute, and then you lean in and squint. That was my lean in and squint moment when I it's thought Comrade Ben Daniels. It's Ben Daniels. There's always something to find in these films, and it may be a big. What do they call it? A um, what do they call it? Not a, a Easter egg. Mm. Anyway, I think it's Ben Daniels. Well, we've all got to start Easter somewhere. Egg. Yeah. No, you do have to start somewhere completely, and it would have been eighty-seven. That would have been, I reckon, about the time that Ben was probably just leaving drama school, and he may have had a scene in it which they cut. And then, do you mind, Ben? It'll be all right if we need to get this artwork as well. Okay. So I'm curious. I really, really want to know. <laughs> but Ray McAnally uses a curious term, which I've got a clip of uh, here. You know, we do not tolerate these golden boys. Five years in a labor camp. Not everyone survives that. The dirt. The beatings. There you go, golden boys. Golden boys. That sounds like a isn't that a spin-off from Golden Girls. Yes, I think it should have been, shouldn't it? But set in a in a Russian work camp. Yeah, imagine pitching that. <laughs> yeah, where find the comedy in that? It's hilarious. No, seriously, it's really end. funny. We can have a new cast every season. Why they die? Thank you for being a friend. Спасибо. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. So basically, as you said, um, laundromat has got him um, <laughs> compromised. <laughs> and uh, so he has to tell him everything he knows so in the meantime Julian Glover is presented with Michael Caine's findings as it were mm. and he says that they're nonsense and uh, it's just him trying to wheedle his way back into MO5 by making up stories and Caine shouts he says don't forget I am head of this department he says acting head sunshine and if you ask me you're acting like a complete arsehole <laughs> arsehole yeah 
Yeah. Asshole. And it, was weird, it, was, it was a weird anomaly that scene. I I, I struggle. I, I struggle with the Kane shouting bit. Mm. Um, he, he's so brilliant when he just is sort of quiet and stealthy. Yeah. And then the, the shouty bit. And I would be curious. Um, in fact, here's a question for you, Anthony, as a director. Um, would you would you, when Kane sort of did that scene and yelled? Would you go great? Could we? Why don't we try it? I just think that there was another way to do that scene. I I don't know. I, I struggle with the shouting. I think yes. there's something more interesting kind of, to be found in that scene. Yeah, it is his go-to sometimes, isn't it? It's kind of his trademark, certainly back then. The shout and insults. And the voice, the voice yeah. goes up, and it feels like his status yes. just fell through the floor. But he'd be like, but, but I'm angry. I'm angry. I need to show him I'm angry. Yeah. It, That's it, my it, terrible Michael Caine impression, by the way. It was very good. It's a funny Thank you very much. But you're right, though, because his, his character up to this point is not about, about shouting. He's about, um, you know, being level-headed. <clears throat> and he just, he just loses control. Um, and I'd just be really interested to sort of see if, if I were to direct that scene. Whether we some actors, but yeah, some actors don't like taking notes. It's interesting; they don't. It's very difficult to, uh, and you have to find your way and, and, and to express. And I'm not sure how. It'd be interesting to see or to hear how he was at taking those kind of notes and how you would suggest that kind of thing. To I Mike. think it's a very. I think it's a very good question. But you'd you'd like to think that with someone of John McKenzie's sort of pedigree, um, who got a, just a sensational performance out of an already sensational actor in Bob Hoskins mm. in Longer Friday. Mm. But, I mean, I just think any actor worth their salt, and I know technically you, you, the Michael Caine is peerless when it comes to sort of film acting. I mean, he really knows his, his, his onions. But um, you'd like to think as an actor, and if you trust your director, and we have no reason to assume that Caine didn't trust John McKenzie, that as an actor you would always say, you know, what else can we do? Should we try it a different way? I don't know whether, uh, but I guess, you know, big stars tend to be left to their own devices, I think, generally. Um, well, like you said, John, of... that's the only time he, that's the only time that he gets, he loses his rag. And well, then, yeah. And wanted to let him have that moment. He sort of has to, and I rewatched the scene thinking, I know he's got to, because he's got to be just sort of pent up and frustrated, but, but and I know that he has to come out of that scene second best. Um, Glover's got to win that scene, and he's got to know, feel that he's won that scene. Um, but I just, I don't know. I'd argue think... that there was a scene earlier on where Julian Glover shouted at him, and he, in return, did not shout back. He was very calm and measured. Mm. So that scene, this scene, might be more powerful if he didn't shout. He just said that line, and then lets the frustration out in the scene that we see after this, where he does exactly that. I think generally that tends to be usually the winning way mm. to to to, mm. to do the reverse of what is expected and oh. as you said um yeah there's a way in fact what does work is when he's walking down the corridor and yeah. when he's you know and yeah. this one says there's a telex for you and he goes i don't work here anymore oh. that did the job that the scene that did no you're right that oh. did do the job but i think you have to films like that allow you to then analyze and work out whether an alternative is the way to go and without seeing michael kane do that i think that um we wouldn't be you know looking at doing certainly playing those kind of scenes in that way now. Hmm. Um, you know, at, at that time in, eight, in 87, I think that that was the way that those kind of characters were portrayed. They wore their heart on their sleeve and they said exactly how they felt. And to take away the one thing that he obviously loved 
I mean, there's one thing about his character that you that you find out pretty soon about his wife that you realise mm. that he's suffered loss, oh. and so he's lost the job that he's obviously very good at. He's willing to to go, to be a renegade and go and break into someone's apartment and blow open their their um, safe to 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 extract secrets to protect the country, but but to, you know to go rogue. He's willing to do those sort of things. He loves his job, and then he gets pushed out of ports and airports. It's um, Yes, you can well, see that uh, why he behaved that way. Absolutely, but it's worse than that, isn't it? Because Julian Glover writes on his form, "No further action needed," and then says to Kane, "I'm suspending you for insubordination." Absolutely, mm. no further action, mm. which he says out loud, which is lucky for us because we can't read upside down. Exactly, and it was red pen on red paper. So, what chance mm. have we got, really? And also, you can't photocopy that. And then he goes on the tube, and we get Richard Ridings playing a big racist. Yes. And the other actor who used to be in loads of stuff and I don't know his name, but they're both yes, playing exactly. big racists. Yeah. Exactly. Uh and they're being horrible to this black lady on the tube. And then uh, he just does his th- and, and Kane does his thing. Well, and it feels like it's um I mean Kane, funny enough, was quoted um about this film. He he said that he felt the film ended up being um it should have been a moving film and it ended up being a talking film. Hmm. And I think in his head he it was a little bit more action based, um, mm. which in a way is tricky to do yeah. in this type of film. Um, and he said, you'd think he was quoted as saying something. I mean, I, I do a version of what he said, but it was, uh, you know, you'd think as an executive producer, I would have had the power to, um, to sort of move it in a certain direction. Mm. But I think it turned out to be a more talky film than he, he, he sort of wanted it to be. And it almost feels like that scene was just for us to go, oh, yeah, no, he's got it. You know, mm. If required. Well, I suppose that comes into play for the ending, doesn't it? But yeah, but yeah, I mean, again, it doesn't seem very satisfying with these people who are being horrible to this lady, and all he no. does is have a cheap punch at them and then run off effectively. It, you know, it didn't, it didn't fit. I mean, the the sort of the issue it was raising, obviously hugely important, but in the context of the film, it just. If I was doing looking at the edit and this film runs at two hours, you'd think mm. that scene can go. Yeah. In yeah. a heartbeat. It, it doesn't seem grounded in it. Richard Ridings would have obviously been very upset. Mm. Although he, he he's not one who doesn't get work, is he? So No, he's fine. But it would have been disappointing. He's in Who Framed Roger Rabbit like the year after this, so he's all Is right. he? Yeah. So is Betsy Brantley. Mm. Is she? Who's she in that? Mm. Um I think she's listed as bizarrely as as it's almost body double for um, oh. Jessica Rabbit. She might have even been the live person covered in ping pong balls in that. I don't know. Wow. Anyway, part of my deep dive. Not firing out ping pong balls, I hope. Did they do ping pong balls then? Did they do ping pong balls back in those days? In the no. Philippines, yeah. Um, it'll be a part of my tour, so um, leave that with me. I'll find out. <laughs> but that's interesting. Yeah, so, so Richard Ridings uh, is an actor I know just because he's in a lot of things. Yeah, he's brilliant. Uh, and he's good. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, so Ken goes home to his housekeeper and says, look, I'm staying home tonight. And then goes to spend time with his son. There's quite a sad little... You get that kind of wild geese vibe uh, about this scene. Totally. The the young son, the mother's obviously dead. We don't know why, but that's good. We don't need to know. At least Um, he doesn't offer to take him skiing like Richard Harris did. Yahoo! Yahoo! Um, Question. He's got the ski jacket on just in case. (laughs) Well, (laughs) okay, so... um, (laughs) This is something that troubles me. Mm. Um, from the moment that he, uh, Michael Caine, 
busts into the safe. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. To the when he's sitting on the sofa with his son. How much time do we think has passed? Roughly. Mm. Roughly. I'd say about three days. Oh, is that all? I think. Okay. Because the Christmas tree's still, still up. Got the, yeah. We've still got the Christmas tree up. So Christmas tree's still up. And I just... Would be, if, he's, if he's worried, if he's superstitious about keeping the Christmas tree up beyond... The well, the, the housekeeper, it would have been the housekeeper's job and mm. she would have been fired in yeah. a heartbeat. Mm. Yeah. He could frame up... Get that fucking Christmas tree down! <laughs> he could say, look, you didn't take a tree down, so I've unfortunately told my superiors that you're feeding secrets to Russia. <laughs> But, but Michael, I've worked for you for 40 years. Sorry. It doesn't matter. There's a guy also, outside. the lights were tangled. <laughs> There's a guy outside with a carving knife and a, p- a pair of pliers. <laughs> <laughs> and she's off to the gulag, courtesy of Ray McEnough. Which is ironic, because she made a goulash for dinner. Uh, it's not ironic at all. She was one of the original Golden Girls. Mm. Now she's she going to go and be with the Golden Boys. There <laughs> you go. Uh, Michael Caine's son is called Tiger. Not called Tiger, but that's what he calls him. He's called Timmy. Terrible name. Oh, Timmy Tiger. Timmy, little Timmy Tiger. Oh, poor Timmy. Because his dad's probably going to... Well, we'll talk about this later. Um, but meanwhile, Pierce Brosnan, on his, on his mission of collecting bits and pieces, he goes to a hotel. There's a nice scene in the hotel. There's a lovely sort of tracking shot that goes right the way through the lobby of the hotel up to Pierce mm. sitting on the sofa. But if you look, there's a very quick scene where you can see the entire crew running past a mirror. <laughs> is that true? Uh, which is fun. Yeah. No, is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a blink oh, and you miss it, it, but you see the whole lot of them. Uh, um, but he's sitting on the sofa. And then maybe he's... I meant to. Oh. Sorry, go on. No, go, go on, on, go on, go on. I meant to say, sorry to go back a little bit. Uh, where do you stand on the whole name gags of the computer with Timmy? Oh, when he gets him to sit on his lap and they go through it all. Oh, well, the European yes. racism. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Again, it's a scene. I, it's a scene I'd probably cut because it's all, all it's telling us is that there are people coming into Heathrow. Mm. But it's yes. a quite. I do. I like the line. I like. There's two things about. it. I think the kid I have to say is really good because mm. you know that you know the chaperone has just said hello, the, hello Timmy. This is Michael Caine. He plays your dad. Now just sit on his knee and uh, and pretend that you, he's your dad. And he does it really well. I don't know who plays Timmy, and I don't it's, know. It's Ray Fines. It, is it? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. What a wonderful no. performance. No, it's not really. No. Of course it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> but he does have a good line, which after he's done the slightly um, xenophobic take the piss out of Eastern European names, yeah. he does. He says something along the lines of, and they all arrived in this country. And so, anyway, it's a, good, it's, a, it's a really good line. Oh. Anyway. Uh, but Bron- I've skipped forward to that scene, haven't I? I thought I was thinking of the Christmas tree firing the guns. All oh, right, yeah, that's not for a little bit because we got first. No. Brosnan meeting his contact in the toilet to get the radio, which has got bits of the bomb in it. The pilot wearing a very, very, very fetching classic 80s leather jacket. Oh, isn't it? And a white it's, t-shirt. It's perfect. Mm, and a man comes into the toilet and sees them doing that. But Brosnan has already suspected this man might be gay. Yes. So he thinks, I've got an idea. So he follows the man and basically says to him, look, have you got a room here? We both know what we want here. And he says, no, but I've got a car. So he follows him to the car. And there's this horrible scene where he intimates that he'd like some oral sex, as the papers would call it, oral pleasure, and um, then slits his throat horribly. Yeah, he was wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, but it's very I nice. I think also the implication was that there's a very nice sort of top shot of the car they get into. Yes. Well, it's, a, it's an estate it's a, it's a big Ford estate, and you think it's probably a young family man. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
that size. That the size sunroof, the sunroof, the sunroof close at the end of it. Great touch. All of his films, great touch, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, because you've got that moment where you're like, he's covered in blood. What's he going to do? And then he just closes the sunroof, and then it's none of our business anymore. It's just brilliant. Mm. Brilliant. Did you? Did he carry on? Yeah, he just cuts, <coughs> cuts his head off. Just cuts him up into little bits. Cuts him into little bits. Puts him in he also gets away with murder. I mean, literally, he gets away yeah. with murder. I mean, you'd assume there'd be a big investigation. Mm. There'd be a full police presence going, did you see a man? Well, I did see a, a man in a suit, and I did see a very handsome man in a very dandy leather jacket, and they left together. He there was a, no, there's no, it's never mentioned on the news. He looks a bit like James Bond. Yeah, Not he, actually James Bond, but like if you were going to cast James have. Bond, yeah. that's James the guy. Herbert, yeah, that guy, James <laughs> Herbert Bond. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he gets home and then washes up after murdering this man and then there's a knock at the door and it's Matt Frewer he says hey buddy we thought you'd like to come to the base for some beers Mrs Soderberg yeah Mrs Soderberg's in the car she's been eyeing him up since he moved in oh she was. she's obviously bored with Max Headroom yeah she's looking for some excitement because every time he starts talking he starts Doing that sort of Norman and Collier. Also, he's not a pilot or anything. He on the base. He's just you know he's got some admin job. Radar she, operator. That's not what she that, signed yeah, up he's for. That, he's that guy. He promised him the world. Yeah, I'm in the military. We're going to travel, and yeah. she goes great. And he's and just got Milton Keynes. Oh. Yeah, he's just pushing tin, guys. He's pushing tin. Yeah, yeah, tin tin. So they go bowling. Like John Cusack. Yeah, I like John Cusack. Was he calling Jimmy? Yeah. Like bowling Jimmy? Yeah. And they, they go drinking, and uh, he's kind of trying to drink. Well, he's really good at bowling, because Russians are. They do, yeah. And then he says to him, well, maybe there's something I'm better you at. And that turns out that's probably drinking. Because no. Pierce at one point says, I don't want any more. I've had a few gallons. And then this is what you were talking about, Anthony. I think there's probably a scene here where Matt Frewer just collapses. I the, the, the Moscow Mule touch. Yeah. The Moscow Mule. I mean, that, yeah. the touch of the Moscow Mule. And then the, in classic sort of um, down the Legion where you ask for a cocktail and they give mm. you a couple of those little wine glasses and yeah. pour a bit of vodka in with a bit of something fizzy. With and a ginger no beer. There you go. Yeah. That'll be 50p, please. <laughs> <laughs> but the dirty dancing's weird because you'd think, mm. um, uh, you know, while you've got James Bond dancing with um, Max Hedrum's wife. I thought that might cause a bit of a stir. Mm. All his mates in the bar, yeah. you know, his co-workers would be like, what the? I mean, that's a bit saucy, isn't it? Mm. James Herbert Bond dancing with Mrs. Hedrum. Yeah. That would that would cause a bit of alarm. They might wake him up and say, you want... They'd probably beat the shit out of him. Yeah. I mean, Hedrum... they let it go. Hedrum sounds like a Bond girl's name anyway, doesn't it? Ah, Hedrum. Max oh. Hedrum. Mm. Ah, Max Hedrum. <laughs> Uh, but he gets, she gives him a lift home and then she touches his thigh and says, you know, you could come in if you want. And he says no. And then he goes in and then he ang- gets really angry. He does. Mm. Um, I think it's definitely pent up sexual frustration, yeah. which, you know, carries on. Yeah, definitely carries on. But he's obviously given too much of himself away. You spoke that the brief was be anonymous. Yes. And, and he's also quit. being lured by the capitalist scum, isn't he? He's like mm. falling, being lured into the capitalist scum ways. That's right, because then he, he picks up more bombs. Sorry. It's very uncommunism. Mm. We're having fun. Slow music. 
having fun dancing to slow music country i would have loved style. it though if he'd been because obviously well not obviously but it's likely that valerie petrovsky has probably never been just to go back to it never been bowling in his life mm. it would have been much better if he was just utter shit at bowling <laughs> how do i how do i hold this what do i do you want to throw that down that alleyway and hit those 10 pins why also, a there's, a, there's a missing scene here where he should have said something. Should have said something like, "Do you like bowling?" And then he went, "Da," and they were like, "Da." And he went, "I mean, daddy, oh yeah, I do." <laughs> should have done that. This is shit vodka. I mean, Sherry. Um, uh, but then he picks up more bomb bits, and then he goes home. And this is the weird scene where he looks out the window, and there's like a sexy party going on next door, not with <laughs> Matt Frewer and his wife, but these other people. They're having like a swinger party. And he does this massive smile while he's drinking booze. Then he goes and lies on the bed and puts yeah. his hands quite near his trousers. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think the implication is is that he probably, you know... Shakes white hot coconuts from the veiny love tree. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say, I think he turns a telly on and watches an episode of Golden Girl. Oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> uh, so the next shakes, day... Shakes hand with the unemployed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He definitely does. Yeah. Rosie Palmer and her five sisters. Um, so the next day, Joanna Cassidy arrives, who is called Irina Vasilineva. Uh, she's like a bomb expert. Yeah. And she brings the missing disc. A bomb expert. A bomb expert, it turns out. Uh, she won't share a room with him, though. She says, where's my bed? And he's like, we're supposed to be married. He clearly, I mean, this man, if he didn't, Shake hands with the unemployed. He, he, I mean, he's so desperate for yeah, a shag. He is. I mean, he's just, he's screaming, bless mm. him. Mm. Well, not screaming like that. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, but then, mm. so she went, yeah, she went. So the next day, Kane is picked up by car and they say, look, we've got this Russian radio expert who came in at the airport. We got a picture of him. He's going to go and man this radio. We need to follow him. He's going to be on a train in 15 minutes and they need to catch him. So they drive into St. Pancreas, like the professionals would. Oh, it's a great scene. Isn't it's a great it? shot. It's mm. brilliant. It's a one It's a one taker. Get the train moving at a certain speed. Yeah. Car pulls up. Kane, a very good lookalike too, a very good stuntman, yeah. has to do the run mm. and jump on the train. It's a brilliant well, shot. The car has a proper sexy handbrake turn as well as it stops. Also, that was the car when I was a kid. That was a car I was so wanted my dad to buy. I really like that car as well, because all the police cars were that, it's weren't a they? Rover. Yes. Something. Yes. I, when he pulled up outside his house, I was like, oh, I love that car. It's such a good car. Should I bet it was. The great, the great Matthew Marsh. Yes. Anthony, have you ever worked with Matthew Marsh? No. He, um, he's, he's now the go-to. Uh, he always plays Americans in, in sort of British, when British actors are hired over here to play Americans. He sort of nailed that tranche of parts. Always plays Americans. He's brilliant, Matthew Marsh. And he's brilliant in this as well. We did, we did, we have, I just have to reference it. Um, mm. It's the, the scene that um, uh, Ned Beatty or Warren, as we call him, his friends, and um, Ray McAnally do. And it is the most outrageous costume I've ever seen. Um, Ned Beatty, he's got this kind of John Motson coat to the power of 10. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they walk through, they have another one of their chats, mm. Ned Beatty's two days back in his Chekhov play. Um, and he's got the sort of Robin Hood knitted hat and this massive John Watson coat and I can just see the costume fitting he's going Ned Beatty's going oh, can I have that and they're like oh, I don't know it's quite bold and he said I know but you know it's Chekhov let me have it 
It's a sensational outfit, and I want it. Also, I think Ned Beatty's looking a bit svelte in this. Oh, he looks really good. Yeah. He would have been how old? Oh, I don't know, but I'm... I'll look that up. Yeah, I'm used to seeing him in, like, Superman, where he's supposed to be quite podgy. Yeah, and he sort of starts to become the sort of, um, yeah, the sort of the sort of the butt of people's jokes parts. Yeah. And oh, actually, he'd um, have been 50, nearly 50. Yeah, that would fit. Yeah. Great actor. Though. He oh. is a great actor. It's, yeah, it's, it's quite refreshing seeing him do a part like this as well. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. He catches the train, gets on it, and then follows his contact. Meanwhile, Pierce and Joanna Cassidy start to build the bomb. They part to put together all the all the parts together because she's put... She's brought the part he he was missing because the guy in Scotland lost it. The whole sexy bomb, erotic, sexy bomb making, sweaty, sweaty, death bomb, sweaty, sexy bomb making. I've never seen a bomb made in the sexy way. Did you? I I mean, lots of sort of slotting rods into Mm. yes, and they should play rods. They should play the Tom Jones on sex bomb over this. (laughs) Oh. As a, just as a guide oh, track, just to see if it works. But for a moment there, I thought the director was getting a bit weird because we do this long, slow close-up of her bosoms. But it turns out that she's wearing a necklace with the key on it. But for a second, I thought, well, why are we doing that? Yeah. But yeah, it makes sense. It um, does and it doesn't. Yeah. But we find out from some mild exposition that if this bomb goes off, it will cause damage within two square miles and it will mm-hmm. kill two to 5,000 people. Mm. Which is a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. But one of my favourite moments coming up here is that the train pulls up in um, is it Colchester. Colchester. Yeah, and the baddie gets off and he looks around to see no one's following him. No one is. The train pulls away and as the train leaves, Kate's standing in the middle of the train oh, that's a, It's a, such a strong look, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> it's ridi- it's ridiculous. But yeah, it's ridiculous. Cause, cause it's no- the most ridiculous shot in the film. Yeah, it is. It should be the poster. Yeah, it should. In those days, kids, uh, train doors, you could open them yourselves on either side. Um, Because uh, that shot would not be possible these days. No. no. It's, a, it's, a, it's an absurd shot. Mm. Um, it is, but it's quite funny. I mean, it's a good shot. It's mm. very but it's... funny. It's a great shot. You've had so much fun doing that. And they probably only had one go at it as well. Mm. Yeah, the six thirty seven's leaving. Quick, fucking roll, roll, yes. Michael, Wait, get down there. Turn over. Oh shit! <laughs> what do you want me to do? Just stand there, Michael. Stand look, like you've, you've been look mugged. Cool. Yeah. yeah, just look. Just let the ski jacket do all the work. <laughs> yeah, he definitely won't turn around and look at you there. Just don't worry about it. Just stand there. Put it on. CNA have paid good money for you to wear that. Yeah. <laughs> do you know that ski jacket well, what it looks like. <laughs> Do you know what it looks like? You know this, Alistair. Whenever, whenever you're on set, often you'll find yourself filming in very cold environments when it's not supposed to be cold. You'll pretend it's warm. And so the actors are often wearing clothes that are not appropriate for the temperature outside. So you get these ski jackets to wear. And it's like he's forgotten to take his wardrobe-issued warm ski jacket off. Oh, his, 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 his warm coat. They've got, they're oh, bollocks. Yeah, the warm coat. <laughs> oh, shit. Right, right, you're wearing that all the time now. Yeah. Well, it's costume now, Michael, isn't it? It's costume. Yeah. Idiot. That and the roll neck. Plus also... Um, Looks like yeah. a tortoise. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are some... They do have some... Uh, they do have some slight sort of seasonal issues in this film. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's sporting the roll neck and a thick ski jacket and they're blatantly filming in early summer. Oh. Um, but uh, that's, I guess, the nature of the beast. Really. So... Um... Then the bomb is primed, and he's told that 
well, they're going to listen to American, the American translation of Moscow Radio. The um, third item. The third item will mention Colonel Gaddafi, and that is the cue to set the bomb. And and it's going to be two hours. You've got two hours, she says. She gives him a note to read, and he goes off to read it. And while he's gone, she's obviously got orders to change the timer from two hours to go off immediately. And there's precedent with this. This These are your final orders, note. Mm. note we Ginger Man got killed. Exactly. You know, it doesn't yeah. bode well. No. So he comes with back. That, with that Colonel Gaddafi, sorry, Todd, with the mm. Colonel Gaddafi thing, was that a little bit risky? Because, I mean, back then, 87, I'd say Colonel Gaddafi was in the news quite a lot. Mm. And um, he may have come up once or twice anyway. Mm. But on Russian radio. So that, on Russian radio, even mm. on Russian radio, maybe. Yeah, true. But I guess they, they didn't care, did they? They want to take a risk. Talking of which, she comes back in the, he comes back in the room and says, I've read the note, and then says, let's have sex. That, that was what was written on the note. That's what she yeah. thought was written on the note. That's what she thought. Yeah. She says, I thought this was going to happen, and they kiss. And then we get a little scene of... In the meantime, we see Kane following this spy to a biker cafe. Then we cut he, back to Pierce and uh, Joanna Cassidy having sex. And they finish. He rolls off and she turns on the light and she's like, well, that was nice. I'll turn on the light and think about what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. <laughs> and then she notices on the notepad next to the... On the notepad next to the bed, there's an indentation of the, what he wrote down his orders and it just says, kill her. Killed her. Uh, oh shit it put her in a kilt in English mm. what? in English <laughs> yeah. that's true well it's actually an American which means it's Russian mm, that's true kill, kill her yeah so and it's really cold kill as well because she says don't and she oh. starts to explain about the key thing and he's got a pillow to her chest and he just fires through the pillow it's a total bond moment yeah it is just cold heart cold Blooded, cold-hearted. Blooded. You're not going to kill me after what we've just done. Well, I certainly well. wouldn't have killed you before. <laughs> <laughs> um, he does. He. Um, it's uh, it's a sad end to the to the lovely and brilliant Joanna Cassidy. Yeah. I mean, she basically arrives, um, takes the spare bedroom, builds the bomb, has sex with Pierce, and dies. Mm. And I was desperate to get more from basically the only half decent female part in the film that's very true yeah um what do you think of her dying acting alistair oh i just uh, joanna Cassidy could do no wrong i think she's marvelous it's great isn't it it's something do it's you when superb. you see that you've got to die do you get excited or do you think oh uh, dumb ways to die um well especially where if it's a tv series you die yeah because you think we're not going to come back um, but no, I've died. I mean, I, I've, I've died quite a lot. I've been shot. That's always quite fun. Um, trying to get the best yeah. death I've had. Actually, I got right. I jumped in front of a train that was done at. Um, we did that for a show, which we did. It was a show called. Oh, fucking, what was it? I can't remember. Um, it was a few years ago, and uh, I had to um, basically step in front of a train, and it was um, BBC budget. And the way we shot it was, <laughs> um, we went to Twyford Station on a Sunday shoot this thing and the shot was um me standing on an empty platform on a on a sunday that was the story and i'd reached the end of my tether and i was in my suit and i was going to go to work my commuting train um was coming and this was in the pre-title sequence the character comes back in dream sequence and stuff anyway but so i arrive at the station there's no one else on the platform and uh it's twyford has very fast trains going to reading or something anyway so they thought brilliant 
will do it. And so basically we'll have you standing there and then the next fast, the next fast train that comes, um, basically when you stand on the platform, start walking towards the train. And then as soon as the train zips past you, just sprint into the um, waiting room and uh, it looked like you have stepped in front of the train and been shunted half a mile up the track. That's the shot. Mm. I went, great. And then I said, does the train driver coming know that I'm about to walk? Does it look as though I'm going to step in front of his train? And he went, no, 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 don't worry about that. Wow. So we sure we had the camera on sort of three platforms away. And we had a minimal crew because of health and safety and stuff. And so this poor bastard who was driving the 1022 from London Paddington to Reading or whatever, his train was coming and I stood on the platform about five, six, seven feet away from the edge of the platform. And I was looking and they said, action. And I looked at the train and had this sort of still cold look on my face. They didn't need to come in close. It was from a, you know, from a good distance. And as the train got closer, I started walking towards as someone who was going to throw themselves under a train would do. And all I could think about while doing this was that poor train driver thinking, this guy on a Sunday dressed in a suit holding a briefcase, which is weird in itself because he's not commuting <laughs> on a Sunday, is going to throw himself onto my... That was the shot. <laughs> Did you, get, you, got, wow. you got shot in the night manager, didn't you? Uh, no, I got arrested in the night. Oh, manager. you got arrested, yeah. I got arrested and carted off um, mm. to receive a jolly good beating. That's right. Um, and I got, actually, in, in deep state, I got um, properly... Oh, no, I know I committed suicide in that. I was uh, tortured tortured by Mark Strong for three pages. And then, um, yeah, cut my own wrist. It's funny you should say about um, dying in, in, in series isn't a good thing to see in the script when I first I used to work in documentaries so when I went into drama and I didn't quite understand how it all worked I was still a bit of a tourist I got overexcited at, at um, a um, wardrobe test with some of the actors and I told one of the young actors excitedly that he had an amazing death at the end of the series and the look on his face when he realised he wasn't going to be returning for the second series <laughs> already, having not shot a single frame. And I'm standing there wondering, why does he look so crestfallen? This is going to be amazing. So the agent's doing the deal and the agent just says, uh, yeah, no, it's a series. Do they want an option? No. Why? They just don't want an option. Why? Well, I don't know. Um, but then I have done a series, which uh, I knew right from the off that I was going to get... Um, get killed at the end of it that was part sort of crucial part of the story and um uh, i remember the producer coming to my trailer when we were sort of i don't know two-thirds of the way through filming pop knocked on the door just during lunchtime and said oh can i have a word and i said yeah sure he said we've um we've decided not to kill you off which is the sweetest sound an actor can <laughs> hear when they're doing their tax return um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um but unfortunately in this obviously just to drag it back to the great um joanna david cassidy um she uh she has to die mm. she well again this is all part of the point. progression of everybody who knows about this thing is getting killed do you think pierce would be getting a little bit suspicious just going there's a lot of people dying am i am i going to get back to russia with garlands and um and medals or I suppose he does get to that point, doesn't he? Well, he does, but it's too late. Yeah. Yeah. So Kane's still spying on this cafe, and then he messages to Barry and George. Barry and George turn up. Jackpot's in that cafe. That's and right. I feel lucky. That's right. And then <laughs> they watch where, as Pierce Brosnan arrives with something in his hand, which turns out to be a motorcycle helmet. So it's they... a motorcycle helmet. That's very good. Mrs. Jones from number 44. <laughs> she said... And I'm a nosy yeah. neighbour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> oh, God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to just get it out of my system because I'll be... Okay, here we go. Come Ready? on. <clears throat> okay, wait, wait, wait. Lost the weight. I can't bury another one. Jesus Christ. You... <laughs> Uh, anyway, so Joanna Cassidy, um, <laughs> cut that out for Christ's sake! Cut that out. Um, Absolutely not. Good. Uh, so, meanwhile, meanwhile, uh, Alan North hears that everything is going well via his radio operator, mm. and this is when we know that Pierce is fucked because he gets every piece of thing, every piece of paperwork linking him to this case, and he runs it through the shedder. Uh, so you get Joanna Cassidy stuff. You get the newspaper headline, and finally, the shedder. What's a shedder? Said, is that like a is, said, that, is that like is that like a courier? I said shredder, all right. You said shedder. All right, I meant shredder. But yeah, he shreds Pierce Brosnan's ten by eight. Yeah. Which was terrible. Well, you know he's toast then. Yeah. You know he's toast. He's not gonna be in Panto this year. Definitely not gonna be at least yeah. Not gonna be James Herbert Bond. No, or if he did he'd have to have lines all through his face. <laughs> um so the bike is abandoned. They they do this big chase where they're following the bike, and this is a bit like Goldfinger because exactly like yeah, Goldfinger. They're just following a beep beep beep, but it's like turn turn, turn, turn left. left. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in Goldfinger, Anthony, just so you know, in there in the Aston Martin, it's got the sort of the shittest tracking sort of sat nav thing that they follow. Yes. Just a, a, you know the thing that just bleeps, and they go second yeah. left down Purview Lane. How, mm. how does he know yeah. that? Yeah, it's, but it's ridiculous. Fine. But right. It's fine. It moves, it moves at 90 degree angles every time. Right, yeah. 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 Round the next bend. 90 it's, degrees left in it. How can it be a bend? <laughs> but they, they arrive in this lock-up and the bike's in there and everything, so they know that he's abandoned it. Yeah. Um, but then they find out that there's a big traffic jam, so they can't get out of town. So they go and join the traffic, traffic jam, and Michael gets out of the van and decides to look down the road. Where we see the camp running bit. Yes. Yes, he does camply mm. run along all the cars. And it is... Like he's going, it, it's the... I'm <laughs> 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 free! There's a perennial bit, though. Yeah. Um, there is always a bit where it must be the very last bit of your Bond audition when they say, fantastic, you can fight, you can wear the tux, you can mm. say Bond, James Herbert Bond, you can do all of the things. What just? It's literally, it's just a technical thing. Um, could you just run 20 yards for us across the studio floor? And... I think that's where a lot of actors have fallen. Yeah, well, literally. they can't run. <laughs> yeah, they just can't run. And Michael can trot and get away with it, but mm. I think the full tilt, the arms start to flap. Yeah. But, you know, it's a small price to pay for being as great as Michael Caine. It is, but they see the car, and then they, they the car manages to leave the traffic jam, so Michael runs back to the transit and they follow it. And then we get a bit of this kind of urban off-roading with a transit, which I quite enjoyed. And Barry, Barry's good at it. He is great. Yeah. Hey. I like the line. Who signed for this fan? Oh. You did. He says it with a, it's a great Matthew Marsh. He says it with a, with a, with a nice shit-eating grin on his face. Yeah. So he then see, they see where the car goes to this little cul-de-sac. So he pops in to see the neighbours and then says, we need your house. And she says, why? And he says this. I want to borrow this house for a little while. What? That's not his wife over there, you know. He murdered his wife and three children with a shotgun. <laughs> Thing is, I don't feel any sympathy for those two because she is, I mean, she's like, what? She's horrified. Hmm. But I, those two were, were the swingers. They were. I thought they were. Yeah, they were. So frankly, they're getting their comeuppance. Are they? <laughs> 
that right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they've learned a valuable lesson. I think they have. I don't know what it is. It's to draw your curtains. <laughs> Especially if you've got Pierce Brosnan staring at you. Especially. <laughs> why, are they, why do swingers not draw their curtains? I guess they like the attention. It's part of the fun, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, you know, when you're in a house and it's dark outside, it doesn't look like anyone can see in. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But do you do you not know? You've been caught you? out, John. If you are a swinger, do get in touch. I just mean generally. <laughs> uh, so Kane says, right, Barry and George, you come in through my back door because it's a swingers' house, mm. and uh, let's get the assault team in here. Yeah. Uh, because Pierce Brosnan's in there, and there's someone in the attic, I c- and there's, there's a woman in there that we think because the neighbours tell him there's a woman there. And wouldn't you know it? Just as the assault team arrive, a, a little meddling kids outside with a cat. Uh, who? Uh, ugh. And also, it's a ginger cat called Ginger. Yeah. Um, I mean, think out of the box, uh, people. Because also, how many? Oh. How many times do the cat's gone out for the evening? You leave it. Mm-hmm. You don't go and bring the cat back. It's not a dog. Also, he's wearing a. He's also wearing a red cap, which I, I wondered if it had "Make America Great Again" on. I, I did think that as well. Yeah, yeah. but because he's American, you have to wear a baseball cap. Yeah, that's true. Especially in 1987, I used to hang around with the kids in American bases in 1987, and they did all wear caps. Yeah, they all played little league. They all played, you know. Yeah. Softball. I grew up uh, at the top of my street. It was an American base, so I used to hang around with all the American kids. Where was that? Uh, it's a place called Carpenters Park. Oh. It's in Watford. Yeah. There you go. There's a fact about me, everyone. Uh, so they, they they do the best thing you're going to do with you've got an annoying kid and a cat is you just put your hand over the kid's mouth and drag him into some bushes. Yeah, I think this is a, this is like the eighth string assault team. You know what this reminded me of? What? Well, in a very low key way, the end of Who Dares Wins. Oh, uh, completely. Oh. But it's not. It's they're not, they're not nearly as good. No as way. Who Dares Wins. No. I mean, not as exciting. Are, not as exciting, um, and also they're they're posh boys as well because the guy who leads. Hello, I'm Julian. What's he called? He's called Julian something. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm the commander of the assault team, and you go, no, you're just a posh lad. Say, like, no, you're not. You're Frank from Hellraiser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sean Chapman. Yeah. Um, I, I love him because he was in this brilliant TV show from the late '80s called The Black and Blue Lamp, oh, and it was amazing. Was it was uh, a TV drama comedy, and it was about the guy who shot P.C. Dixon in the, the Blue Lamp. Ooh. Somehow got shot into the future and was interrogated by police from the 80s. And he was the guy who did it. So he was almost, he was, he was all very much like, you ain't got nothing on me, copper. But they were cops from the 80s, so they were punching him and beating him up. Oh, really? But he's the, the, the perp in that. He's, I've, I always love him because he was in yeah, the Black and Blue Lamp. Julian Lindhurst, I think, is the character's name. Uh, yes, that's right. But they're not. They're all those films, and I, I like the fact that they're all sort of. There's no. Um, they all sort of arrive in a van. And you're not quite sure where from. Mm. They're all sort of slightly cobbled together SAS types. But, but these this lot aren't great. No, they're not. They they blow up the house. They blow up the doors. Surely you'd want to go in through the windows like the SAS. Well, quite with the helicopter. Yeah, exactly. You'd want to come down from the roof and like shock and all. Yeah, but they blow up the front door. They give him time. If he if he wanted to to press a button on a nuclear bomb, they'd give him. Not only that, time. there is there is there is a shot where one of the assault team mm-hmm. is the camera is on the landing looking down, and it's brief, but it's a shot where he's just walking up the stairs. Yeah, and he I mean he dies because of it. Yeah, 
Also, when he's rambling upstairs, he's not pointing his gun. He's not looking in that kind of adrenalised, stealthy way. Yeah. He's just popping upstairs to see if the loo's free. That's right. And when the front door blows up, one of them trips over it. <laughs> exactly. That's not so exactly. Good. Yeah. This is the B Street. <laughs> the, all the others are, are all doing the Iranian embassy. That's right. Normally, you have a military advisor on these things that would would, would run through everything, but mm. couldn't afford you get it. Get a feeling with these things, they just no. They're just like right. You just run in. What go there? What, Got a couple of grips. Yeah. couple of crew members. Whack on that ski mask. Mm-hmm. Take your spanner and uh, don't trip it. Oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> but this is the bit that's really funny is that Michael Caine, when he's spotting these people going in, he spots that there's a ladder going up to the roof. So he thinks, oh, I'll go in there by myself. Well, and obviously, we don't see that scene because it would be ridiculous. But what he does do, and I think this is a hark back to... Um, uh, the New Year's Eve thing. He mm. knows how to. Uh, he knows how to break into somewhere under yeah. the noise cover of something else. Yeah. So when the idiots break down the door, he goes, "That's when I'm going to pop through the skylight." And mm. James Herbert Bond won't know that I've done that. Well, also before that, James Herbert Bond is about to set off the bomb because he's heard Gaddafi on the radio. Yeah. Not doing a radio show, but he's heard the name, and um, he's just <laughs> as he's about to press the button, he notices that the the the, the little control box of the bomb is locked. So he goes back to Joanna Cassidy's corpse, which has got a boob hanging out. I don't oh, know God. why. I, d- I don't know why. No. It's Big so edgy, unnecessary. It? Oh. Yeah. Because I kept you thinking think there's an actress then, lying there in the cold in a bath with a boob hanging out. I, I have to say, of all the things, that if I were ever to have the pleasure of meeting Joanna Cassidy, um, apart from discussing elements of her brilliant career and everything from Blade Runner around and about, um, I'd also say I'd love to ask her that question. Hmm. So what was, how did that, were you told? Were you, did sort of costume go, it just, it doesn't sit well that. No. It didn't when I first saw it, even as a jumped up little randy teenager. Hmm. I mean, I suppose dead body with a boob hanging out shouldn't be particularly exciting. Not really, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> it is for Philip to listen to him. Revealing too much, Alistair. <laughs> Cut it out. You said that out loud again. Mm. <laughs> but um, it just um, was weird, that. Very weird. And also, also, it looked very sore when he yanks off the chain yes. off her neck. Yes. And I think that's just very clever. That's a very clever sound edit. Mm. You know, it was obviously just hanging loose around her neck and yeah. she flinches a bit because, you know. She's an actress or actor, I should say. Um. But he goes back in, he opens the control panel, and that's when he sees, and some good face acting by Brosnan here, because that's when he sees the timer's on so zero. And, he, and that's when he processes it through his mind, thinking, shit, I was the last cog in this. I was going to be killed, so everybody else was killed. No trace of who did this. I think it's a shorter, smaller version of what John McKenzie did um, with um, Bob yeah. Hoskins yeah. at the end of Longer Friday. And he yeah. sat in the car and mm. talked him through all of it while he was doing it. I and bet it's the same so thing. so brilliant. Yeah. Because you get that read on his face. You see mm. the whole process of emotions he goes through. Yeah. But not enough time to process it because that's when the dickheads blow up the front door. But um, he shoots one of them on the stairs, as you say. comes back in the room and then Kane... He notices broken glass on the floor. And then Kane steps out of the shadows with a pistol. And then they have a fight. And, and then... Kane knocks him out. And he's, he's ba- he basically stopped the bomb from being able to go off. Yeah. Uh, by kicking him in the face. Mm. And then the SWAT team come upstairs and just fill Brosnan full of bullets. And that was the weirdest thing, mm. I think, in the whole film, um, watching James Bond get shot. Yeah. 
it was I, it was having sort of with all that knowledge we've now got of all the films that Pierce Brosnan did playing James Herbert Bond and all this hindsight and it felt like that was the only time I've ever seen James Bond killed yeah it was weird and it's moment. it's one of those it was strange wasn't it and it's yeah. funny because at the time it happening you're trying to compute it aren't you hmm. hold on a moment Bond that doesn't dead. make sense it did Bond it didn't dead. it was such a weird reaction to that it's also it's one of those weird unique british things that there was the death was i i feel personally growing up in this era death was death was felt dealt with so matter of factly like mm-hmm. he's just literally filled full of bullets and then they turn off to walk away and then kane says we need to talk to him and he just says well we had orders mm. but it's very like this is my job i just murdered someone uh, it reminds me when i first saw the tv series a perfect spy mm-hmm. the ending spoiler alert uh peter egan shoots himself but it's just such a again matter of factly the way it's handled and I think this speaks to that. It's just death is something that's in the spy business is just part of the job. Was that specific? Do you mean specifically kind of in the um, sort of eighties, nineties sort of spy genre? Thing yeah, I think just... so. I think the mid eighties, late eighties, uh, because they were able to sort of show you more uh, when someone's killed mm. in the old days, they'd flinch for a second and then just fall back. But in these era of films, someone would shoot themselves and there'd be like tons of blood. Because the scene where Brosnan's machine gun, there's just blood squibs going off all over the place. Mm. And this is someone you've seen all the way through the film doing stuff. And as you say, later on is James Bond. It's quite, I don't know, I can't put my finger on it, but it's quite sort of the way death was handled in those days. It was very sort of, as a young child, I saw this when I was like 10 or 11. Mm. So it was a bit like, ugh, didn't like that. But I guess in the same way that Joanna Casti's killed as well. Yeah, exactly. It's just just, brutal. He doesn't even bat an eyelid. And the guy in the car. And the guy yeah, in the car. Yes, yeah, one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, Kane's annoyed, and then the next day, Sir Bernard Hemming, who is Michael Goff, he has died now. So we know that Julian Glover's in charge. So it's his funeral, and Kane frog marches into the funeral, tells his son to wait in the car, and then catches Ian Richardson and Ray McAnally having a chat. Who would have thunk it? Yeah, it turns out they're in on it. He says that Karpov sabotaged the operation so that he had stuff to on the KGB chairman so he could take over his job. The old double, double, double bluff. Yeah. Absolutely. Classic Forsythian Bruce at it again. Oh, absolutely. And then Kane it wasn't says... higher, it was lower all along. <laughs> he played his cards right. <laughs> and, then... <laughs> and then Kane says this line. It's all a game to you, isn't it? You don't give a shit about anything except your lousy careers. Neither of you. It's about time they put you in a fucking museum. Brilliant. You get some shit in the fuck. Does anybody, does anybody say fucking as well as Michael Caine says it? No. He says we get, in, in this film we get shit, fuck, arsehole. Mm. Most we get from Michael. You shit, fuck, arsehole. I think that's all he says. <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch that film. Yeah, I would. Just if that's, fuck, shit, arsehole. That's all he can say. There's a beautiful story about a man who's in a, a, a horrible accident, but after that, he can only say the words "fuck shit" and "asshole." <laughs> Get an Oscar. He would definitely win an yeah. Oscar for it. Well, he got an Oscar um, for doing a weird American accent, so anything's possible. He, yes, he did. It mm. was his time. It yeah. was his time. But it was this film. I mean, it was so 
I thought it was really interesting about the, the timing of this film, because in a really odd way that, um, you know, we're supposed to be sort of awestruck by the um, kind of, you know, it's the 80s and the Cold War. But I think the thing I really find interesting about this film is is the fact that it was made with the ambition of the film in the time of the 80s when when the British film industry was in such a kind of an odd place. Mm. Um, that the ambition to make a kind of a spy thriller, um, when they couldn't raise the money, there was all the studios were pulled out or pulling out. Um, you know, much smaller budget films were being made by kind of Goldcrest and Handmade and all that that lot. Yes. But then this sort of stood out as something. Or, or they were doing, you know, those big um, sort of epic sweeps, like, you know, Gandhi was was there and The Last Emperor and that kind of thing. So this was a kind of an anomaly. And I think that's why when I saw this film, aged, I suppose I would have been 17, I suppose, maybe. Um, it just, it seems so exciting hmm. to be watching a, what was inherently a British film set in Britain. And it was a sort of an international spy thriller. And that's what made it so sort of striking, really, for me. Um, and amongst all the beautiful laundrette and all those kind of films yeah. that were being made. Weird ending. Also, did you know that this film... Um, yeah, what about that ending? Did it, feel, it felt like it was suddenly going to launch into song and a 10 minute of a musical number. It's again. a Wild Geese. It's the Wild Geese ending. Absolutely it is. I was just going to say that. Because mm-hmm. he comes out one. and then, then Ray McInerney says, do you think he'll talk? And then Ian Richardson gives him a withering look like maybe. And then Kane comes out and the son isn't in the car. But he's up a tree having a nice time. Daddy! Let's go home, he says. <laughs> and then he sings, Oh, what a beautiful morning! It's a weird ending, isn't yeah, it? It's yeah. like they run out of ink. Mm, mm. Um, where are we going? Home. And then that freeze frame. Yeah. You have been it's watching. Freeze frame with the music and the smile. Just... I did think I did think you have been... I yeah. thought it was you have been watching. <laughs> I wish they'd done that. I wish they had. It's God, that would have been so good. If someone's listening, I'm sure someone will do that for us. Just have Bruce Forsyth. Oh. Life is a name of the game. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, it's a, it's I, I, it's, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. Mm. It was great to see it again. It really was. It's gripping. Any, any, any kind of spy mole hunt, catching people before the world's blown up films are, are good, and this one's a really good one for that. And that scene with Richardson and and, um, and McAnally, mm. you do. It, it's it's a really. It's a good sort of twist mm-hmm. um, to it. You know, the whole thing was basically sabotaged right, sort of right from the off. Yeah, um, and none of it was going to happen. Well, that's when we realised that's what him and Ned Beatty are saying that we need to stop this from our side, because it turns out that the radio operator that got sent over was so easily easily traceable to the KGB. That that's right. That's how they found it so quickly, and that's Karpov doing that, uh, Ray McAnally doing that. But if Pierce Brosnan, yes. if um, James Herbert Bond hadn't just taken a little beat, he was just about to press that button. Yeah. Finger was an inch away from it. Mm. He just wanted to go and have another bloody look at Joanna Cast in the bar. Yeah. Grab the key. Joanna Cast in Such yeah. a waste. It is a waste. She's in Who Framed Roger Rabbit as well. Yes, yeah, she is. You're right. Yeah. She's a, I think she's a brilliant actress. She is. Amazing. She's great. She was in um, Six Feet Under. Was she? Yeah, she was the one of the characters' mums in that. I mean, if you want to relive um, and continue uh, continue um, with the Fourth Protocol storyline, um, there's actually a computer game you can play. There was a computer game, wasn't there? On the old ZX Spectrum. Spectrum. If you want to ZX write Spectrum. Like, mm. Yeah. They're getting a plug-in today, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. 
I've got to deal with them. Sir Clive, you're in the pocket of big Sir Clive, aren't you? <laughs> Air Jordan. Um, <laughs> you say that, but I have, I have been in your presence. I won't go into details, but I've been in your presence when you have received a free gift. Uh, oh, yes, that's okay. true. So I do believe yeah. this. No, that is true. There's a bond connection there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's parked outside. Yes. <laughs> it's a helicopter. It's the Ford XR3. <laughs> It's used by Piers Brosnan in the fourth prototype. I've got the convertible Cortina with all the blood and severed head in the glove box. <laughs> he's still in there, isn't he? Yeah. That poor poor family man. His wife's still at home going, I wonder if he's ever going to come back from the airport. I put him on the gear stick. Do <laughs> <laughs> oh, you remember the, um, remember the scene in um, Die Another Day when, hmm. when he receives his BMW? And I think it's the... Not Die Another Day. John no. Cl- John Cleese as Q. Isn't that the first? What's the first? Uh, the first John Cleese is The World Is Q. Not Enough. That was the last BMW film, yeah. That's right. So that, that, that's when he, that's when we meet John Cleese as Q. Mm. I used to work on um, The Big Breakfast back in those days and Ooh. we did a set visit on that on that um, film. Mm. That was the day I worked for. I mean, apart from forgetting which film it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but we were there when they shot that. We were there when they shot that. It's more than twenty years ago. In my mind, isn't what it used to be. But we were there when um, we shot that scene. Wow! When they shot that scene, I should say, and the BMW comes out of the ground, and I was so excited. And uh, we watched them do the scene, and when John gets his his coat caught in the doors, he shuts it. And that's right. Um, it was amazing. And then afterwards, I my it's my job to interview. Pierce Brosnan wow. for the big breakfast. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So I'm all thinking this is my day. I sit down in the chair about to interview Pierce. He sits down and looks at me and he goes, Where's Johnny Vaughan? Oh. <laughs> that was my that's my Bond claim to fame. Oh and where do you go from there? Uh he couldn't be bothered to come. Uh, 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 he's busy. He's uh anyway. Tell me about Bond. You say, Well, I was in the toilets with him. And someone came in, so I had to murder him. <laughs> the full Cortina. Yeah. In the back of the full Cortina. What was, um, so what was he, was he, was he lovely and charming after the Johnny Vaughan moment? He was, mm. no, he was. Uh, to be honest with you, I kind of understood. It was awkward for me, but I understood. I did yeah. think it was a bit odd that I'd been sent to interview James Bond. Um, and you could see he was, he was a little bit put out that it wasn't Johnny there to interview him. Um, but the best bit of the day by far was when everyone went for lunch and they'd left the sides all lying around and me and the camera crew did the scene I was Bond I think the sound guy was Cleese wow please tell me that's available to view unfortunately we we, we blocked it out Anson we blocked it out bloody hell oh I'd have I'd have given anything for that that'd have been amazing that's was incredible yeah it was amazing did you make a good bond? I was, of course, amazing. Huh. Were you? Did you mm, say bond? In my own mind, Alistair, no one saw. I said Herbie. James Herbie Bond. <laughs> but of course you were. <laughs> um, well, at this point, I'd usually ask James Bond questions, but it feels irrelevant now. So let's ask, what are, your guys, what are you guys' favourite spy films? Oh, I've got actually. I'll tell you one. I I I need to rewatch it, um, but I remember loving it. The Russia House. Mm-hmm. 
um, with Michel Pafifier. Yeah. And, and Scene Canary. Scene Canary. Mm. Um, I do remember loving that. I particularly remember loving the soundtrack, funnily enough. Yes. Uh, well, actually, no, I can tell you, my favourite is Spy Game. I love Spy Game. Oh. I'm a massive Robert Redford fan. Anthony in the Fridge? A very good In film. the Fridge. I, do you know what? When I was a kid, when I was a kid, it was more the books. I used to love reading Len Dayton books. Hmm. Um, and his, his, spy, his spy stories just captivated me. And so kind of these spy films of the 80s kind of missed me by it because I was... I was getting into the Ipcris file and things like that, mm. and, and um, but the books, um, and he wrote a trilogy, Game Set and Match, which I just adored. Those those spy books were fantastic. Mm. What about you, John Ray? Um, uh, in terms of oh, um, well, I really like, I really like the new Tinker Taylor film, mm-hmm. just because of Gary Oldman's performance, just of mm-hmm. the decision he made yeah, to be very incredible. very quiet all the way through it. And then only speak once he's really fully in charge at the end. But also, I'd like to have a shout out for the Hunt for Red October, even though it's not technically a spy film. Oh yeah, that's yeah, that is good. But it's a Cold Warry type film. The great Alec Baldwin. Yes. Who I could watch for days. Oh, he's so good he's in that. Mm. So good. Yeah, but the new Tinker Tailor just bewitched me because I was a massive. As I mentioned, I watched loads of stuff with my mum growing up that she used to watch. And I was a massive fan of the TV series of Tinker Tailor, but I thought what the film did with it. I really liked, and I wish they'd do more. It was beautiful. They shot some of that in my uh, outside my parents' house. Oh, really? Tinker Taylor. Yeah, I think mm. it was his. I think it was Oldman's house. It was just across the way. Ah. Did Gary Oldman ask where Johnny Vaughan was? I got, <laughs> I got huge set, a massive set envy on that day. Did you look at that and go, "That's what I want to do with my life." Well, one of my favourite possessions, I won't say who, but someone who worked on it gifted me uh, a script, the shooting script from it. From That's Tinker. nice. Yeah, so I've got that in my on my bookcase and it's lovely to have a look through that every now and then. That's a nice thing to have. Yeah. Mm. Maybe I'll tell you off air. Tell us... Oh, my dogs are scratching at the door. They want to go to bed. Oh. <laughs> they really are. Well, um, maybe that's a good place to leave it. Um, thank you very much, John Rain. Thank you, Alistair. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, John. Thank you. It was a pleasure to talk with you about the fourth protocol. Goodbye. Yes, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye.
If you're a fan of all things geeky, you're going to love Concessions, a brand new podcast by comedian Matt Hunton and myself, Beck Hill, where we interview your favourite cult heroes at Comic-Cons all across the world. We've got stars from Star Wars, Harry Potter, The Walking Dead and more. Make sure you tune in soon to Concessions. Concessions.